Welcome, everybody, and we're back with the Hollywood Godfather. And this month being the first show in February, we got a lot to talk about, a lot of surprises. During this show, you'll learn more of what's coming out, and you being a witness or an audience listening to this, you're going to be on the jump before so many other people. I want to introduce my compadre and co-writer, Pat Piccarelli. Picciarelli. Hi, everybody. And Megan Horan. 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 Yes, that's me. How are we doing, guys? Uh, Doing good, my darling. Everything is great. Well, here we are in February of 2022. I can't believe it. Four years almost. I know. What success the show's been. And thanks to all our listeners. And all well, the people it. still buying our book. I can't believe the book is still selling. They are. In fact, we're getting our uh, our next uh, royalty check in a couple of weeks. But who's counting? You know, I mean, uh, anyway, uh, this evening we're going to talk about uh, your experiences in the uh, hotel business. You uh, uh, were going to build your own hotel. Everything got off to a great start. It's a, f- a phenomenal story from beginning to end with the mob and, and the feds. It's a really interesting story. We didn't. We hardly touched on it uh, in, in, in the book that this much in depth. But before we do that, uh, before the show started, Johnny and I were talking about the various businesses he was in prior to, to building a m- mega hotel and casino. And I don't know if you people are aware of it, but he owned uh, several wig shops. <laughs> now, I, I, you know, this, you know, if somebody was to hold a gun to my head and say, uh, if you, if, Guess the type of businesses Johnny was in when he was in his 30s. And if you don't get it right, I'm going to shoot you. Uh, well, they would have to shoot me right then and there because wigs would be the last thing. But you had a great idea. Well, you know what it was? I was so diverse and trying to help certain people, relatives and family. I already had the club at the Tropicana Hotel that Frank Costello let me open with Elvis Presley, I may mention. And uh, I had jewelry stores, Russo and Castaldi Jewelry, with uh, Ducky Castaldi, who was partners with Raymond Petriaca in the metal business up in Rhode Island. So I was doing business with Raymond and, and Mr. Castaldi. So I opened a bunch of jewelry stores in hotels. And then at the current time, my mother-in-law was a hairdresser and she was getting fidgety because I made them all move down and live with my wife and my newborn daughter because I wasn't around much. And I said, I'll put you in business. So I put her in the wig business and was called and Johnny. Why is that? It was called Johnny Russo Wig World. <laughs> that must have taken you a long time to figure out that name. Well, the, uh, the interesting thing, it was huge business then. Okay. The why- wigs. Now, this is what I asked you, and I've, I've known you quite a while now. Why the wig business? And you gave me an answer which I would have never thought of, which is? Well, I was in showrooms every night. And every showroom, like the Copa, had the Copa girls. The Lido de Paris had, you know, the, the Follies Bergere. Well, everybody had these big chorus lines. And I was always looking at these girls. They looked amazing. 
And I thought they had a bunch of hairdressers because, you know, I went to hairdressing school <laughs> backstage. And I was privileged to go backstage so many times. And I saw them just taking the wigs off, the who were helping them get undressed, and putting them on these foam heads. So <laughs> I'm thinking, well, so I asked somebody backstage, I said, who takes care of these wigs? They said, what do you mean takes care of them? I said, they put them back on tomorrow night. And I'm saying to myself, two shows a night, seven nights a week. On the hot lights. On the hot lights, sweating, dancing, and all. So I, I went and researched these machines to sterilize wigs that you don't, you know. And I bought them. And then I opened one store, two stores. Then I opened about 10 stores. And everybody, wigs. just wigs, only wigs. And it was great for my mother. We didn't have to, you know, do shampoo and sets and all that. You bring your wig in, we could do it, and you can leave it, and we could do it anytime we want. We had kids coming in from the beauty school, rolling their hair again and putting it in and paying them minimum wage. We didn't have to pay a, a beautician. So I so, kept open different locations just because I needed more of these machines. <laughs> okay, so... Did these chorus girls come to your shops or you had... Oh, no, we had a van pick them up backstage. Oh, the chorus girls weren't bringing them in. They couldn't even take them off the premises. It was yeah. the property of the of the hotel. So I made the deal with the hotels, which was even better. Because so they paid up, me. So you picked up a bunch of foam heads with wigs on them every day. Every day. And I made... That's what like, I did, I got a plank... <laughs> I, I did it myself. I got a plank and drilled holes for a dowel so the wig thing would fall so they don't fall over. And I just slide them in the truck like a bakery truck. But I was getting $12 a head. On the pun. Be yeah, hello. <laughs> oh, yeah, especially saying that in Vegas is not cover your ears, nigga. <laughs> but anyway, uh, but it was a very lucrative business because I turned them into the Board of Health. And the board of health went over and checked it and said, yeah, you got to do this. And I had the only service. And they all rolled their eyes and they knew I turned them in. So what does it mean to them? They have millions of dollars anyway. So uh, so you were a, uh, a wig rat and that's how, you, that's how you increased your business. You ratted them out. Okay, so there you go. I didn't think hey, of that. You know, okay. Well, no, I, mean, I was doing no, how I looked at it and I was interviewed by it. I looked at it, it was for the betterment of the health of those girls. There you go. What if they had a sore in their head or a scalp? Yeah. And they're getting somebody else's disease from the next girl that wore it. Yeah, this is real hair too, right? Oh, they're all real hair, yeah. yeah. Oh, they're all real so hair. So how long, how long were you in this business? Oh, about 10 years. Why did you get out of it? Just the wig business changed. Yeah. I mean, there was a big business for wigs there for a while. Everybody yeah. was wearing wigs. Yeah. And we, do, we did a lot of good, good deeds, too. I bought wigs for cancer patients. I did a lot of oh. public service stuff. Yeah. People who needed wigs can come and borrow them if they were temporarily going through chemotherapy. No, I always nice. gave back to the community, which was good. Yeah. So, so, yeah. Uh, so you're about 35 years old, right, when all this is going on? Yeah. Okay. What made you wake up one day and say, gee, I'd like to build a mega hotel and casino and start on that road? Is this something you always thought about? 
Well, I, you know, I was in them all the time, and I never thought I could be in, in the business. And I have to give the credit to Steve Wynn. Because Steve Wynn, just before I, I had the land, what I have to let people know. I was making a lot of cash money early on. And people like Mo Dalitz and Mylansky and Frank Costello, I said, what am I going to do all this money? They said, well, you're in Nevada all the time, so buy raw land, which a lot of people didn't realize. Right after they built the Hoover Dam, which supplied the water and energy to California, Arizona, and Nevada, nobody was buying land and moving to the desert. So they enticed people to invest in land in Nevada. And if you did that, you'd pay no taxes on it until you developed it. And I was buying raw land for 1500 an acre. Wow. I, I was insane. In fact, right Hank, off the strip. no, that, that land was a little bit more. But Hank Greenspun, who owned the Sun newspaper, and uh, I mean, a major guy, a big, big player and developer. He said, buy it any land you can get. And he he was buying what is now known Green Valley, which was property between Henderson and Las Vegas. So he owns a whole community, a city, by buying his land and then developing it later. So this land uh, where you eventually started to build this hotel, where was it located? This land was on Colville Lane, Flamingo Road, and, and um, wow, Harmon Avenue. And that That's was right behind the Bally's Hotel. That's a block off the strip. Right, a block, a block, but not a very crucial block, because I went to the planning board. I used to sit in the meetings, and I found out that Paradise Road, which comes out of McCarran Airport, was going to be a one-way street going north. And Las Vegas Boulevard was going to be a one-way street going south. And there was only one other street <laughs> called Harmon Avenue in between them. That goes both ways. So I started buying and trading land with people who already owned land there and different parcels and I wound up with 23 acres of land from the corner of Flamingo Road to Harmon and Colville Road. And once you do the cash outlay, that's it. No taxes. What's that? Once you do the cash outlay, you buy the land. There's no taxes. I didn't have to buy the land. I traded the land. I traded other land I had in other places. I gave them oh, bigger, okay, okay. I gave I'll them bigger parcels. I'll rephrase that. Once the land is yours, you don't pay taxes on it until you start to develop, until you start to Oh, dig. no, no. I, I have the title. It's in my name. I can't improve it. Yeah. Once I improve oh. it, then they evaluate the asset you're putting on it, and that's how you get taxed. So you didn't acquire this land initially with the idea that you're going to build a massive hotel. You did it for an investment initially. Yeah, I just got, I wanted to get rid of some of the, to be honest with yeah. you, because the statute of limitations of I wanted to get rid of the skim money that I had too much of. <laughs> yeah. That's a good way to do it. I mean, invest it, right. Okay, so where Megan this, taught me I, all of this. Megan's very smart, you know. Yeah. <laughs> she was young, but she still had a good head on her shoulders. She know? still does. She's doing very well. Uh, 
so where did this inception, this this idea of building a hotel come from? You didn't wake up one day and say, I think I'll build a hotel. Well, Steve Wynn just bought the golden golden nugget. And he yeah. did it with smoke and mirrors. He got, uh, well, I, I mean, I could talk about it, I guess. Perry Thomas loved him. And Sierra Construction backed him with their performance bond. And they bought, he bought the Golden Nugget downtown, which sat on a big piece of land. And then uh, a guy called Milken, which we all met or heard about years ago, they floated a junk bond for the Golden Nugget. And raised all the Mike, money. Mike Milton. Yep. Yep. Yeah, he went to jail. He went to jail and came back out and he worked for uh, Steve Wynn for the rest of his life. <laughs> so uh, that, that was Steve Wynn's first hotel? That was Steve's first hotel. Young guy, a couple of years older than me. And I said, you know, my ego, I can do this. And what I did do, though, I thought that was pretty brilliant. There was a young architect called Tony Marnell, and he was working for Marnell, Constru Marnell Correo Construction. Don't ask me how to remember these names. Yeah. <laughs> and this was their first big job. Now, I said, I'm going to get a general contractor who wants to come here and build, because they had it all locked up. So I, I was always in New York City on the corner of Madison and 57th Street. There's a building called George A. Fuller. Now, George A. Fuller Construction built a lot of skyscrapers. Yeah. So I went and met the kids. And I said, how'd you like to build your first hotel in Nevada? They said, oh, we can never get in there. I said, I'm going to get you in. I'm going to build it. And so all of this came together like magic. <laughs> That's what it sounds like. But, you know, did you ever consider where the money was coming from? You don't want to spend your own money, do you? Well, no, I had a little bit of money that I could show. Yeah. And that's when, uh, in fact, I, once we get a little deeper into it, Megan, I'd like you to read just because I want my people to know once what, when we get to it, the use permit, so they can get the magnitude of how big this hotel was. I think I sent it to you, didn't I? When I was yeah, granted yeah, I my use permit. I think that's a funnier story that I, I went to the planning board Got Tony Monell to design the hotel. And I I actually wanted a variance because I was so close to the airport. I wanted to go a couple of feet higher because there was a variance where I can only go so high. And I knew I needed more floors. And so I got to meet, you know, different people. And I was very, very close to my commissioner in that district, a lady it was. And... Um, in fact, maybe this is a very timely, you could read what happened. I really got this on, and there was a headline in the newspaper. You could, you could read the date even. I think it was insane, if you would. Please. Yeah, it's the Las Vegas Sun from Wednesday, November 22nd, 1978. And it's titled, Use Permit Requests Approved. A young entrepreneur's dream to build a $54 million hotel casino here moved closer to fulfillment Tuesday. The Board of County Commissioners granted Gianni Russo's request for a use permit to build and operate a 650-room, 23-story structure on a seven-acre site at Harmon Avenue in Coval Lane. The 34-year-old Russo said he plans 
21 blackjack tables, four craps tables, a big six wheel, Baccarat, Kino, and 750 slot machines in the 18,000 square foot casino area of his project. <laughs> wow. So there it uh, is. So where did you look for your investors? I mean, I know the answer to this, but I'll, I'll listen to this. Well, I, I mean, I had, I had the Vatican because Paul Marcinkus, we were very close to, and, and Nick Nady, yeah, the bishop. Yeah. <laughs> he was the head fiduciary for the bank. But they thought they would get a lot of feedback after all of a sudden funding a casino in, the, you know, Sin City. <laughs> so that's out. So that's out. So, But then I talked to George A. Fuller, and I knew I had cash, and certain people knew I did. So I went to see Corky and Nick Savella, who I met during the campaigns of trying to get Senator John F. Kennedy be, become president. And why I went to see them in Kansas City, they represented a big part of the Teamster membership. And Jimmy Hopper was in jail. Frank Fitzsimmons was running it all. And I found out that Corky and Nick were in charge of dispersing the loans to Nevada. And just for our listeners, they dispersed $190 million of the Teamsters' money through the That's years. Out of the pension run. Oh, yeah, legitimate loans. Yeah, well, did did the uh, did the team did the people who would you know the the workers the members did they know where this money was going? No, well, right? as long as they were bona fide pensions, you know they were yeah. and 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 not pensions. I mean mortgages and backed by banks. Why not? Yeah. You know, there was nothing illegal there. But I mean, they they did sway the application. I think my application, I think my first uh, loan was thirty two million. I was trying to get. I think I did it in a, in a napkin, on their <laughs> in their nephew's bar in Kansas City called Mothers. <laughs> well, that was the agreement written on, on a bar poster or something. Well, that's you know that's the kind. I'm just making light of it because that's okay. how easy it was. I did have the land. So I could subordinate the land. And what I did, fortunately, with the guidance of certain people, I had the land in a 99-year lease under a different corporation because I didn't want to lose the land. God forbid, you know, something happened. So I mm -hmm. subordinated the lease to that, and we had no problem. The only problem I did have, which came up down the road was the peanut vendor becoming the president of the United States. Oh, yeah, the interest rate. This was What year was this? Well, 70? finally, when I broke ground, I broke ground on March 31st, 1979. Because by the time was you it? get your plans done, you know, your approvals. So over the that five years after my use permit was granted, I developed it. And now I was ready to build it. So when when you broke ground, that was a hell of a party, if I, if I recall correctly. Oh, my God. I put two circus tents up. And I did it on April Fool's Day because everybody thought I couldn't do it. And yeah. then I got very creative. At midnight, the sides of the tent would drop. 
and the big earth movers would start digging it. And the theme of the party was, can you dig it? Because nobody thought I could. (laughs) And I gave everybody out. Everybody got a construction jacket, a hard hat that said, can you dig it? With the Renaissance Mm -hmm. logo on it. I mean, I went all out on this party. I think I spent $2 million on the party. (laughs) Fireworks? Fireworks? Spell out Renaissance in the sky. This is not this is not the sands. Renaissance. How many letters are in it? <laughs> I blew it up in the sky. It was crazy. Everybody thought it was nuts. And I, I wanted the biggest magnum of champagne that was in Nevada. Because I wanted to crack it like, you know, christening a ship on the big yeah. bulldozer. I had everybody covering it, all the newspapers, every and you name the celebrities, they all showed up, fortunately for me. Okay, so you're sitting on top of the world here. I mean, you're 34 years old, and you got this future ahead of you that's mind-boggling. And along comes the peanut farmer, and 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 not even 90 days into his term, the uh, the prime rate is like 20 percent. Why no? And and the one thing I did have to have was a bona fide accounting firm. So they they suggested I use Ernst and Young. Very old yeah, firm. Yeah, huge. Yeah, huge. So they took me on, obviously. And I get a call from them. And I already put up 600000 of my own money to dig the, do, do, do the excavation. I had to give, you know, it was a Las Vegas Paving Company. How the hell do I remember who I hired? <laughs> Las Vegas Paving Company. They charged me six hundred thousand to dig the hole. It would take about two months, and they started that night. So during that period, I was ready to do another drawdown, but this time I was going to draw down the Teamster money, being I had it. But Ernst and Young told me that you know you would have to have a 91% occupancy just to service the debt. So At I, that interest. Yeah, just to service the debt of interest. Yeah. Not, not, you know, no operating costs, nothing. I, yeah, yeah, you, you just have to cover the interest. That was just to cover the interest. So, you know, I had to slow down a minute, and um, fortunately I did. Because um, we meet a guy that moves to town. <laughs> and meanwhile, I open up State Street, and he's hanging out in there. And his name is Ned Day. I don't know who this guy is. And he's writing stories about me. In fact, there's a, a, a great... Did you have that clip? Did you have the clip when Ned Day... That first one or two paragraphs. The paper clipping? Yeah. Describe what how he <laughs> described me to the world. <laughs> okay, let's see. Do you want me to start from the beginning? Yeah, that's where it's at, yeah. yeah. All right. It's yet another bizarre case of life imitating art. You may remember Las Vegas disco junkie and heartthrob Gianni Russo as the fellow who appeared utterly believable playing Marlon Brando's weasel son-in-law in the movie The Godfather. And again last week, Russo turned up as a mob toughie on TV's The Rockford Files. 
but you may not have heard about another starring performance by the impeccably tanned Mr. Russo. This one in the all-new, quote, Joe Augusto, Augusto tapes. We'll save that. I just wanted, that's how we... And directed by no, the FBI. No, we're going to give that up in the next... In next okay, so... So we'll move on to the rest of that in the yeah, next Yeah, later. But, that, but that's that how he day. used to talk about me. Tan, bimbo, disco <laughs> junkie. I mean, this kid was nuts. Okay, Ned Day, though, had his own agenda, and his agenda was Ned Day. I know. I mean, he wanted to promote himself. He was a journalist. If our listeners will have figured it out by this time. Uh, and he was pushing a good story as much as he was pushing himself. So... My question to you, and I never asked you this, was were these stories, the, the the move behind the feds looking into this loan, or were they doing it to begin with? No, I no, I I don't know what motivated him because he wasn't just picking on me. He was yeah. picking on Al Sachs, who ran the Stardust Hotel with a shady background, uh Herb Tolman, who owned all the taxi cabs in town, and how he became a part of the Stardust Hotel. Then they brought in Lefty Rosenthal, who was one of the greatest odds makers in the world. And our audience knows who he is because Robbie De Niro played him in a movie called Casino. I mean, we're talking about real-life figures that this guy's picking on every day who's in the gaming business and who are fronting major, major mob people. He's picking at the, on the Riviera Hotel who's, you know, that's Detroit. I know who those guys was the Purple Gang. And, I mean, everybody, Sarkis so Wedge. At, at this time in right. his career, was was he ruffling any feathers at this time? Because he did later. Well, he was starting to ruffle feathers and see, I guess he was trying to see what he would get away with. Well, he found out. He, well, he found out. I mean, you know, it's a situation that, yeah. again... I sat him down a couple of times and said, Ned, I don't know what, what, where you're going with this, but you know, you can have a great career just doing what you do. You got to stop picking on certain people because people t told me because they know he used to come to my club. And I used to see him at, at Jubilation even before I opened my club, which was uh, Paul Anker's big disco, which was right across the street from my property. And what I was saying, was that? What did he say to that? He said, well, I don't know. You know, I got my own agenda. And I, I got an idea. I said, well, you're in the wrong town. I said, there's a lot of people out in that desert that are never coming back. Yeah. <laughs> and so you know, and I'd pick up his check. He was a nice guy. and But he hated I didn't know how much he hated me. Because right next door to my property, right adjacent to it, was the Marie Antoinette. A high rise it was eight stories high, but I figured I want to be there, and I had so many people working for me at that time already. They, uh, I mean, Fremo, uh, Frank Ballone, they sent him in from uh, up in Buffalo with the Panaro brothers, and I was putting everybody on my on my payroll. The Kachi brothers, I didn't realize how inbred they were with the mob up there, but why not? I had drivers, I had people, you know, and I had things for people to do. And I was doing favors for friends of mine that from the past. So how did the feds get interested in this loan, the hotel loan? Well, it was a wiretap of Corky Savella's house. It wasn't, has nothing to do with me. 
It had okay. to do with the Teamsters pension fund. And, oh, but what they were doing with it, period, elsewhere. Yeah. yeah. And they wanted to know, and I, I think I think the case, if my memory serves me right, was called the straw man. The FBI keyword of this case was the straw man. Operation straw man. Operation straw man. So with that, they started seeing me coming around. I love mothers, and Butchie and I were the same age. And that's, you know, Nick's son. And he had a great club in Kansas City. And uh, all of a sudden, they saw me so many times with so many people. And, and they started calling around, even the New York office, and they said, well, he's got something to do with Frank Costello. Great. And then they yeah. see me in Chicago, and they say, well, he's got something to do with Ocardo, but we don't know what. You know, is that kind of a thing. So I, I, I think the spotlight, basically, because, you know, I already had some Rolls Royces and a Ferrari, and who is this guy? Yeah. And I think that's, I brought a lot of attention to myself, which I wanted. My ego was so big and uh, bigger than it is now. And that's pretty big. So, but, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what made you decide you better walk away from this? Well, I, I again, I, you know, I, I had to walk away because once they publicized that, and soon as they put Ned Day, Ned Day, first of all, I want our audience to know, how he got that, I don't know. But he should have never put it in the newspaper because he blew their case with people like myself even. Why would I take the loan down? I'd go to jail. Okay, now there was a problem, you know, when we were, uh, when we were doing the book. You get out of it successfully. You you weren't in any trouble. You didn't do anything illegal, but you decided that you're going to go between the wiretap, the federal case, and and the prime rate being twenty percent and going up. Uh, you, you get out, but you still have a lease to worry about. Right. So the way you got out of that was really interesting. <laughs> well, tell me about how you got out of that. Well, there was a, a major fire, and. Uh... I transferred the land to somebody else. and But a, didn't you, if I, if I recall, I mean, we did this book, I told about five years ago now. You, you had a 99-year lease, and you're obligated to pay uh, on the lease. You said something to the landlord. I forgot what it was. But no, to, no, 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 no. I, I, I wrote a great lease. In the lease, it said, once I started construction, my payments would cease. They, they, they gave me no startup date or know how long I could be in construction. You don't have to pay a thing until you started construction. Again. Boy. <laughs> no, no, no. I was paying the land lease. Yeah, I'm aware of that. Yeah. Until I started construction. Right. So once I started construction, the, the lease stopped until I finished so I could generate money from the cash flow. So you he haven't had, finished. And I gave him a percentage lease, which he liked, because now he's going to get a percentage of that cash for that. And yeah, he, yeah. If there's a hotel. Yeah, if there was a hotel. <laughs> but yeah. also, he had nothing to lose. I'm improving his land. So anything I put on that land, 
he could foreclose and own it as the asset. So his lawyer convinced him, how could you go wrong? They're well, building found, all, what? He found out. He, yeah, he found out. <laughs> <laughs> what but, became what became of the land? I mean, the the the, the person who, uh, who you were who you were paying the, for the lease. Now he's not getting paid anymore because you haven't you haven't started construction right. for the second time. Right. So what what became of that land? Well, and now I, that the whole what happened was I sold the land lease to a Monaco corporation. And everybody said, what's he doing now? I was good friends with Grace Kelly. To get a municipal in Monaco, they have to own 51%. But don't try to sue them over anything. You can never get anything done. Of course not. They own the country. Hello. So the land lease is held over there. It's in dormant, and the land is still sitting there vacant. They built the world around me. MGM Grand, go there now. That's the only vacant piece of land, and people are saying, why is it still vacant? <laughs> wow. Yeah, in that area, that's probably the only vacant land, if I recall. It is the only vacant land. Yeah, yeah. It's the only vacant land. Okay, so... Can I can I make a can I make a commercial for us so we can make some money? Sure, go ahead. Please, we'll be right back. And I'm going to do the commercial right now because I'm very excited about this. Valentine's Day is approaching. If you go to Corleone Fine Italian website, you're going to see that we have gift boxes, love gift boxes with food of the greatest foods in the world, different prices, all Corleone. <laughs> Maranata sauce, Jenko olive oil. And I'd really appreciate it if you went online, Corleone Fine Italian, and you could order it and you could have it delivered by Valentine's Day. We're back. Here we are. Okay, so we aren't done with Net, with uh, Ned Day at this point. We're going to talk a little bit more about him uh, in, uh, for the next show. So, how are we doing on time, Megan? Well, uh, we have a few minutes if we still want to want to continue on at all. No, Talk let's to go guys. to mailbag and pick up where we were then. I think. How's that? Yeah, and Megan? we'll and we'll and we'll talk about Ned uh, next week. Yep. Oh, yes, it's get, it gets really on. exciting. Yeah. <laughs> all right, let's get into the. Should mailbag. we do another break then, or no? We just did it, right? We can do another. No, we could do another. Like send it off? Okay. We'll be right back with another commercial. Don't go nowhere because we're going to do the mailbag and we may be reading your mail. That's right. Today's show is being sponsored by Cordelione Fine Italian Food Products. This sponsor really means a lot to me. Cordelione Fine Italian has taken the heart and soul of the Godfather films and created a line of food products that include pasta sauce, balsamic vinegar from Modena, Italy, Genco Extra Virgin Olive Oil from Sicily. They created delicious pasta sauces. Marinade, tomato basil, arrabbiato, and my favorite, Clemenza's meat sauce. You will be amazed. You will think your grandmother made the sauce herself. CorleoneFineItalian.com That's CorleoneFineItalian.com Okay, we're back. All right, let's get into it. 
first one we have is from Travis. Travis says, Hello, Mr. Russo. Due to my job with the electric company in Iowa, I'm in and out of a vehicle all day. And I was able to listen to your tremendous book on audiobook and actually had to pull over a few times and say, what? Wait, what? So I'm going to Las Vegas in a month for a wedding and my wife and in-laws who, with my wife and in-laws who have never been there. Well, my wife and sister-in-laws haven't. My brother actually lives in Henderson and works at the Hoover Dam, so I've been at least six times or more. We are going to the Golden Steer Steakhouse. Have you ever been? If so, do you have any stories? Because it's been around since 1958. Also, any recommendations? Thank you so very much for your hard work and by the whole podcast crew. I look forward to it every week like it's Christmas. Well, the Golden Steer Steakhouse, it was known because it's on Flamingo Road, just west of Las Vegas Boulevard. Great location. Flamingo, I mean, on Sahara and Las Vegas Boulevard, across the street from the Sahara Hotel. And a friend of mine owns it now. <laughs> and and one of the guys that was the bartender, he's probably dead by now. But I mean, it's the same operators, a great, that's where the wedding is, the Golden Steer Stick. Maybe they enlarged it. Must be a small wedding. He says they're just going there. Oh, so no, it's I great. Don't know specifically great place. What for, but. Drop my name. Everybody knows me in there. You may get thrown out, but. <laughs> 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 no, but it's it's a, a great place. Really a great place. In fact, the bartender, <laughs> just say, do you know Johnny Russo? Then you'll find out right away. So, any other uh, restaurant recommendations for them? I think they want a few. Oh, more. me? Yeah, there's so many. I, I mean, I will never stop recommending Piero's. Yeah, on good. Convention Center Drive and almost on the corner of Paradise. It's between Paradise and Las Vegas Boulevard. Freddie Glussman, a good friend of mine, owns it. Piero was a known chef from Italy. The food is amazing. Little Joe is still running it. I know that because friends of mine are still going. That's a great place to go. Okay. Good luck, Travis. All right. Next one is from Kathy. Kathy says, I just wanted to tell you all I loved the book and I'm now addicted to your podcast. I'm a 67-year-old retired deputy sheriff from Marin County, just north of the Golden State, and I love the stories from both sides. I've been a godfather and all things mob fan for years. I listen to true crime podcasts all the time, and since I found yours, that's all I've listened to starting from the beginning. I have a question for Gianni. Do you have any CDs of your music, and what kind of songs do you sing? Yeah, we have all kinds of music. In fact, if you go on to our, Megan, you could tell them, how do, how do they do that? Download. Yeah, it's on your website. On your website, giannirusso.com, there's a section for music, and you can find um, Gianni's past CDs there. In fact, the, the album Reflections is on there, and Frank Sinatra lent me his whole orchestra for the session. And when I went to pay them, they said Frank picked up the check. I couldn't believe it. It was like $80,000 worth of musicians for a week. But if you like that kind of music, great. And very timely, our next show, next week after this show, we are dropping our first track of our rap album, Some Genius Kids Wrapped Our Book. And now we opened a new category of music called Rapology, and we're having eight tracks that drop on February 25th throughout the world. So what a great timely question. Yeah, these uh, songs, by the way, uh, it's uh, 
it's every chapter of our book is now transformed into rap music. And the two people who did it, uh, Joel Ortiz and Arsenic, these are multi-platinum winners. And I'm not a rap guy. I mean, my sons are. Uh, but I started listening to this. These people have talent, particularly with, with the with the uh, with the music behind the lyrics. It's unbelievable. And for our audience and, to know, it's not the typical rap. You're not going to hear foul language. You're not going to hear uh, ethnic slurs about any heritage or anybody. It's basically about our book and what they did with it. When they first told me, I couldn't believe it. I'm in the studio with them now, four hours on Monday, four hours on Thursday. We're wrapping it up because we're, we're releasing it. As they say in the business, we're dropping it on oh, the 25th. We're dropping <laughs> it on the 25th. And it's Hollywood Godfather raps. All right. Hello. Okay. Next one is from Julie. Julie says, Gianni, I think I remember you saying sometime that you still had more of your life story to tell and that you were thinking of writing a sequel to your book, Hollywood Godfather. Do you think that will still happen? Pat, why don't you ask that question? <laughs> okay, we decided, Johnny and I decided to go in a different direction. Something that's only been done once, as far as I know, is we're going to uh, fictionalize uh, uh, novels with uh, uh, Gianni at center stage. It's going to be a fiction series with Gianni as the protagonist. But we're always looking for something different to do. And as Gianni uh, just said, this is the first time that a uh, book has ever been turned into rap songs. And uh, this fiction series will also be breaking ground. So uh, I'm working on a proposal now, almost done with it. So we'll keep our listeners posted on how it's going. And, and with that said, a lot of the stories will be based what what's in my life. And just, Absolutely. To, give, and just to give you a teaser, the if we get... The, the green light on this, it's called The Diary, and you're going to be amazed to know whose diary we're talking about. It's Marilyn Monroe. So stay yeah, this tuned. Is all based on, this, is, this is all based on fact. It's also based on things that you really can't say in a nonfiction book and have it attributed to you, so we just call it fiction. And I, uh, we think you'll enjoy it. Thank you for asking, Great. though. Next All right, next one is from Jeff. Jeff says, Johnny, if you could sit down to dinner with anyone dead or alive, who would it be? If I could do what? Sit down to dinner with anyone dead or alive, who would it be? Well, two of my favorite people, a male would be Frank Costello, and a female would be Marilyn Monroe. I thoroughly enjoyed the short time I had with her. We were great friends and that I would. I mean, if I could pick anybody, it would be those two people. Good answer. All right, next is from Marcus. Marcus says, Patrick, I'm someone who's fascinated by all things law enforcement and police procedures. Would you ever think of writing a book about your life? You've been involved in some incredible things. No. That was fast. You even have to <laughs> no, think about you it. You know, nope. I'm a, I've been asked, uh, about this a lot of led I think a pretty interesting life between wars and cops and PI work and books and other things but I'm a private person I, I well I'll put it this way I've got notes on a memoir 
that I'm writing, obviously about myself, but it ends uh, the day before I go in the military because then it's not fun anymore. And uh, my childhood uh, up until the time I was uh, 19 uh, is, is fun. It's interesting. It's about old New York. It's about Italians. It's about, it's very interesting. I've got about 90 pages just of notes. So if, if I don't start writing this thing, shame on me. But that's that's about as far as I'm going to get. I'm not going to write about my adult uh, adventures just when I was uh, younger. Hmm. Very interesting. That's interesting. It's the first time I heard that. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, that is all I have for tonight. Well, great. Well, thank you. Our audience, for the questions were great. And uh, as you can see, we're getting really exciting about our future. As you know, the 50th anniversary will start on February 25th in theaters. And then soon after that, Paramount Plus will be streaming the new version. And I heard there's more footage in it. And I think moi has one more scene. Not that that's important, but this, as Pat says, is the gift that never stops giving for 51 <laughs> right. years. Yeah. So, but thank you all for tuning in. Tell your friends. We, we, we want a bigger audience. We want to stay on. And thank you for all your compliments. God bless you all. Good night, everybody. Good night, guys. If you're feeling sad and lonely, there's a service I could render. I'm the one who loves you only. I could be so warm, so tender. Call me. Don't be afraid, you can call me. Maybe it's late, but Thank just you call for tuning me. in to the Hollywood Tell Godfather podcast. You can contact Gianni Russo, Patrick Picciarelli, or myself, Megan Horan, with your questions and comments through the contact section of our website, HollywoodGodfatherPodcast.com which is where you can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter. You can also call and leave us a message at 646-776-3038. Remember to follow us on Instagram at Hollywood Godfather and on Facebook, as well as leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd like to know what you'd like about what we're doing, what you'd like to hear in the future, and anything else you might suggest to improve our podcast. Most importantly, hit the subscribe button. We'll be back next week with stories of the mob and Hollywood, as well as answers to your messages. Good night. Don't be afraid, you can call me. Maybe it's late, but just call me. Tell me and I'll be around. I'll be around.